one of the biggest things that people may realize, but not how pronounced it is, is that the risks that are um, surround communicating information via email are dramatic and they have potentially massive monetary issues. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go. I'm your host, Jeff Tun. If you ask a room full of IT pros what keeps them up at night, chances are most of them are going to say security, or compliance, or security and compliance. Today's guest is Haley Ottman, founder and CEO of Doxly, a cloud-based platform that automates and secures workflows for diligence and closings for law firms and corporate legal departments. Haley herself is a licensed attorney. Haley, welcome to the show. Why don't we start right there? How does a licensed attorney find herself the founder and CEO of a tech company? Well, thank you for having me, Jeff. Um, That is an interesting journey. I I basically had no intention of ending up on this pathway, but as a practicing attorney and trying to grow my business and grow my practice and serve my clients in the best way possible, I just kept running into the same sort of problems, the same inefficiencies or lack of visibility into what was going on in our very critical business processes around transactions. So as a transactional attorney, I was working with lots of clients, helping them to sell their business, acquire a new business, or obtain funding so that they could grow and develop into bigger companies. And through that process, I just kept seeing that I needed to be able to service my clients in a better way and have that visibility. So I started working on an idea for Doxly, taking some of those standard business processes in the legal industry and and bringing them into the technology age. What was once done on paper or Word document checklist, we could bring into an automated environment. So once I saw that we, what was possible, that what we could do with technology, I wanted to make it so that my fellow attorneys could do the things that we love to do, practice and serve our clients and complete these high-level business objectives for our, our clients. And so started Doxly to do that. I love that. So that you can do the things that that you love doing uh, and not have to focus uh, so much on keeping track of all the documents in the checklist. So you guys recently published an ebook through Doxly called Technology Solutions Mitigate Risk of Data Disclosure. Why this topic? Why now? And what led you to undertake this project and publish an ebook? Yeah, so there's just so much that's changing in the in the legal landscape. And when you think about how attorneys practice, we're held to these certain ethical obligations. So every attorney has um, specific duties that they owe to their clients. And one of those duties is the duty of confidentiality. And, and for decades, the duty of confidentiality was presumed to be met if you send a document via email. So we have to protect our clients' information. We are not allowed to... Um, Um, have systems in place that would allow for the disclosure of our clients' information. So the ABA used to say, the American Bar Association used to say, you know what, attorney, if you send um, a client 
communication via email, you're presumed to meet this duty of confidentiality. But as the technology around emails evolved and there have been more instances of hacks and data breaches that stem from the use of email, the ABA in May of 2017 said, look, we can no longer presume that email is going to meet the standards of the duty of confidentiality. So as attorneys, there's this whole shift in our obligations and what do we need to consider? And, and right now it's it's they've given a fact-based reason-based test to say, hey, you know, there may be some circumstances where email is not going to be a sufficient way to communicate. And so as this becomes like more pronounced and as the issues around email communication and the safety and security of it become more pronounced, it may change how attorneys actually communicate with their clients. So to me, now is the time to start to understand what are those risks and implications so that we can evolve our practice to meet these challenges. So I know your ebook is slanted towards attorneys and law firm IT departments, but what are some insights that would apply to any IT shop today? I think one of the biggest things that people may realize, but not how pronounced it is, is that the risks that are um, surround communicating information via email are dramatic and they have potentially massive monetary issues. So business email compromise was a $2.1 billion product for companies, not just law firms, but for companies in general. That was lost revenue that came where people were able to infiltrate email systems to gain access to um, social security numbers of employees, or more prominently, the ability to get a company to wire money where it isn't intended. And so this is an issue that faces all different companies where where sensitive business information can be communicated via email. The risk of economic impact to all of our companies and businesses is very pronounced. There's an example in the ebook about a, a report being inadvertently copied on a confidential email and sent to the wrong parties. What, what are some other reasons that you recommend attorneys or anyone for that matter should not use email for confidential communications? And what are the alternatives? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that's like hard to, so in that instance, you know, you're, you send something to the wrong place and we all do that different times. You you start to type in the name and your email it very helpfully autofills for you with some <laughs> suggested names. And so it's very easy to send it to the wrong mark, the mark that you didn't mean to. In this instance, the um, report was actually sent to a, um, a reporter who then published it. So <laughs> that was a ma- major issue. But but what uh, what's happening more and more and happens to all businesses, and we've seen it happen in the legal context as well, is that you're communicating information around um, a financing. So I'm going to sell my business and there starts to be a cadence. Well, what started to happen and, and people have inserted themselves into deal process through email streams. And what they've done is say, oh, okay, this deal looks like it's going to close. I'm going to send the attorney new wire instructions posing as the client saying, Um, hey, um, you know, I know I sent you wire instructions before, but here, wire the money to this location. 
And what's happening in that situation is that, you know, a law firm will potentially wire the money um, if it looks like it came from the client's information. So what what people are doing is they're like spoofing um, people's email addresses and asking for different information. And so there have been noted situations of where um, an attorney or a client has wired money to um, an improper location because someone has compromised the email around the communication. So, so the risks of it are, yeah, I could send something to someone else and disclose information that I didn't intend to disclose. There's also the risk that, you know, someone um, could hack into my email and see the contents of it. But what, what's really happening is, is people are gaining confidential information. Like they, you know, they will communicate with me and I will answer a few questions in a survey and I'll tell you what school I went to and I'll tell you what mm-hmm. my favorite color is. And you'll use that information to potentially get my password and start reading my email. And then once you know that, you can start communicating to me as a client or to the client as a law firm. And so what what that means is that these payment transfers are starting to become probably the biggest issue and biggest pain point. So when all these communications around critical business information, deals, um, social security numbers, employee data, those are the things that people need to consider if sharing that information via email is the appropriate way to communicate them. And that could be in a legal context or just a general business context. I heard a law firm situation of where a client came to to them to help them um, address a problem. Their CEO was traveling and the head of HR received an email from the CEO that said, hey, can you send me all of the payroll information for employees? I need to go through it one more time. And the person was like, okay, sent over just a general list. And they're like, oh no, we're going to need the like detailed W-2 forms for each employee. And the, you know, the HR professional responded to those requests, sent all the detailed information on every single employee. And it turned out that it wasn't the CEO that was emailing. That's a big deal. So these are just, you know, these are ways that people are infiltrating um, normal email cadences, impersonating people. And so the, the implications of that lost information. So it's, you know, so it starts to come down to what are certain classifications of information that we should deem to be too sensitive to send over, you know, unencrypted email or through, or or should we look for different channels to send them? So, so the first thing is to think about like, you know, what are the classes of information Mm -hmm. that we have as both businesses or attorneys that um, shouldn't be communicated in a kind of a standard email way. And then once you decide what information is, you know, is being sought after or critically important, then you can decide what are their methods? Could I share that information? So in some instances, you could inc- use encryption technology to share the confidential information. So I could password protect a file that I'm sending to you, and you can only um, access it when I send a separate key to you. Um, the problem with that is that in some instances, that person needs to communicate back. And so how do I have back and forth encryption over um, different material that's being sent from different people? Yeah. Um, other ways are to look at like secure portals. Um, how do we set up a secure site where we can actually share files and communicate around the information? I think that's something that's becoming a lot more common of a way to do things. We, we can both log into a site. I can share information with you. You can share information back to me. And we can orient ourselves around that confidential information without um, having to have it traverse um, some sort of email communication. 
one one of the biggest complaints, I guess, or or um, objections, if you will, to to this that 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 I hear a lot when you start talking about security and, and things like that is, Hey, you're just slowing me down. Uh, oh. it's one more thing to remember to do. I've got business to conduct. So, so how do you, how do you get people on board with using these new types of technologies rather than just sending it through email? Yeah, I think it really comes down to saying it. The goal is not to say you cannot use email to communicate um, most of this information. So I think email is still going to be a part of our natural communication system of how we're going to talk to people and engage with them. But if we can actually think about, okay, what are some of these critical sought after pieces of information that the economic impact to us as a company would be way, way more than if we um, were to just go through a few extra steps to protect it, then, you know, if you can say, okay, these are the things where the economic risk is is high enough. Let's look at how we want to build in practices for that type of information, for those components, for those um, kind of, you know, kind of critical pieces. And I think that is one of the ways that you can you can kind of work with people to say this is not designed to change the total way we communicate, but there are certain pieces of information when we're doing certain deals, when we're going to share an entire set of HR files. So I think the most important thing we can do is, um, and when we counsel our companies and counsel our you know law firms um, and and service providers, is to just understand you know what information is of that level that requires heightened security and then find a simple way to actually um, share that information. When people understand the full depth of what is required, if information is disclosed, it seems to help them understand that there is a better way to report it. Um, when you think about lawyers' duty of confidentiality, if, if there is a data breach um, from an attorney's email, they have to contact every single person that could be subject to that breach. So if um, if a client had asked me to send over the HR information that I held on behalf of the law firm and I sent it when I wasn't and it wasn't the client that I sent it to, we would have to notify every single employee um, one by one that their information or, you know, as a law firm, we have everyone's accredited investor questionnaire. Imagine having to notify every single investor on yeah. um, in a file database that 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 information was compromised because we sent it to the wrong place or because someone was able to access that information that was sent through an email. So so there are some risks that obligations that we have to maintain under our ethical obligations that the risk of um, improperly sharing or having someone breach the data is is definitely not worth the extra layer of protecting just that portion of the information. And, and it really goes beyond the cost of notifying all those people, right? It's the it's the reputational damage to the attorney that, yeah. hey, I have been breached. And now all of a sudden, your your clients are looking at you potentially in a different way. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, anytime these situations happen and they happen in different ways, business email compromise is a, is a big one. It's an emerging one. There were two large New York law firms that had, um, were subject to a business email compromise hack where Chinese nationals accessed their uh, networks for 90 days straight. They read the, um, the, the heads of the M&A practice email for 90 days straight. No, neither law firm noticed that they were accessing their system. They were informed by the SEC when the SEC um, stopped the national Chinese nationals because of the um, the trading habits that were happening. So they were actually trading on the information that was in the lawyers' emails around the deal documents they were sending. So a public company would be acquiring a private company or another public company, and they would trade on that information. And the SEC got wind of it and notified the law firms that they had been breached. And so the that you know having to then notify your clients that you were part of that and that your information was being used to trade. I mean, the, the reputational risk, the ability to provide, to say that you can be that trusted advisor. I mean, that's, that's our goal. We are people's trusted advisor to help them with their most critical business needs. The law itself is, is so complex and technology is changing so fast. What what things could our IT leaders in, in the audience do to help their attorneys keep up with it all? Yeah, I, I mean, it is. It is hard to keep up with. And I think you know, I think as the IT professionals out there, they are, they're seeing a lot. They're seeing, probably getting access to, you know, understanding of greater technology, but they also probably have a better understanding of the risk. They have an understanding of how people are attacking that. It's not just ransomware or malware where if you click the wrong link in an email that seems suspicious, those are not the ways that our um, data is being compromised in the most sophisticated. So like getting people to understand from the general counsel that there are issues that need to be addressed and that, you know, one way to raise this is to get attorneys to, to ask in those RFPs for those outside counsel representation. Like, what are the steps that you take to protect data? You know, um, there's a law firm that was subject to a class action lawsuit where um, clients sued because they felt like the uh, law firm was using outdated substandard email protocols mm-hmm. around protecting information. There wasn't actually a breach. There was just the potential of a breach. They had noticed that the email protocols weren't meeting industry standards and they actually filed a lawsuit. And so those are some of the things that, you know, lawyers, um, you know, the general counsel, as they select in RFPs, their outside counsel, they should be asking questions around data security, data policies, and potentially what technology are those law firms using to protect this critical information? We touched on this a little bit earlier, Haley, when when, when you mentioned encryption, uh, but encryption really applies uh, across all verticals, not just to the legal industry. But you're you're specifically very very close to uh, the concept of of encryption and protecting that data. What are some insights that you can share with our group of of how they should be applying uh, encryption in their companies? Yeah, it, it really comes down to identifying the the information that you have that's of, of of kind of critical importance and and how does that information have to be shared? Can it be siloed off? Can we can we store it in a certain area and give just certain people access to it? Or is this information we need to share more broadly? And if we need to share it outside of the four walls of our business, what are the ways in which we're going to be able to do that? Can we do that with you know kind of standard um, encryption technology to just 
just encrypt the um, information when it's being transferred. So if I if I need to share this documentation with an accountant, can I can I share that through an, an, an encryption device? So if it's being shared one way, there's a you know there are definitely pathways to look at how do I encrypt something so that it can be sent from me and then received by a single entity on the other side. If there needs to be a lot of back and forth communication and exchange of those documents, the you know kind of standard encryption protocols may not be the best way to share it. And that in those instances where there needs to be back and forth discussion and potentially iterations around the confidential information, you may want to look even past like encryption and look to kind of those shared spaces where there's secure um, encrypted shared spaces where people can be given passwords. You, you can even layer on security requirements where you can have multi-factor authentication to access this secure site. The benefit of having like kind of a secured site as a, as opposed to um, encrypting individual emails as they're shared is that when you have these secure sites, I could set up all of the information that I need people to see and we can all look at it. Instead of it being a one-to-one communication, we can actually all orient ourselves around all the documents that are relevant to that kind of discussion. So it really kind of comes down to the information that you're looking to share and um, what the collaboration and communication cadence needs to be. So one-to-one communication of a single document to a single person, looking into different encryption things there. But for for multi-document collaborative discussions, um, looking into those uh, shared workspaces or secure sites um, where the information can be stored and accessed. A lot of our audience is uh, is not in the legal profession. They're, they might be in IT for a wide variety of different companies, but a lot of us are buyers of legal services. So what questions should I be asking my attorney uh, about their data protection strategies? Yeah, I think one of the things a lot of um, clients when are when they're looking to obtain outside legal services, you can do a lot during that process. So, one, you want to understand, you know, uh, can they do they have the skill set to provide the general um, services that you need based on the company you are. But then the law firm as a whole should have different security policies and things in place. What do they do to protect their information? Do they have single sign-on and multi-factor authentication for access to the data within their own systems? What are their email protocol standards? So, so law firms are getting more accustomed to answering their own security policies. Like as a vendor of a law firm, I fill out a lot of security questionnaires, and I think law firms are doing the same answering those questions as to how do they keep client data safe? How do they handle what protection levels they do? But one of the questions that I've started to see more on RFPs when people are asking to do legal services, they ask what technologies the law firm's employing to help with their practice. Because in some instances, it can be an efficiency or a cost-saving effort for the client themselves. But also those technologies have additional security layers and things like that that can protect the data. So you can ask, you know, if I'm doing a deal, like what are the different technologies you employ to help and assist with that deal? Because that uh, technology that's focused in that area will protect that information. So depending on the services you're asking of for that law firm, you can also put in a question into the RFP around the technology that they utilize to supplement and enhance the services that they're providing. And, and those technologies can have an impact on the security of around the communication of information. 
that's a great suggestion to put that question into an RFP when you're looking at, at different law firms. Uh, and, and I'd encourage uh, our IT leaders out there to get involved when your companies are looking into uh, new representation, new counsel, to be able to inject that into that process. Haley, we've covered a tremendous amount of ground today, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. What's that one thing that I failed to ask you that our audience really needs to know? Yeah, I think really what it what it boils down to is understand the information that you have that you need to be able to share and communicate and then what protections are available for you. So doing that diligence to understand how you can protect and securely share that. But but what and those are a lot of the things that we've covered today. But once you do that, like how do you actually adopt and roll out those measures? So I think, you know, we can all have conversations about what's important and what we need to protect and what the risks are. But if we can't get our teams to adopt the technology or adopt the processes that we want to put in place to protect that information, it, it isn't going to help us. So one of the things I think all companies need to know and all IT professionals need to think about is what are the ways that we can seamlessly integrate this into our environment? Environment. And so when we look at technology out there to securely share information, those vendors should work with the companies to say, okay, this is the problem I'm solving. Here is how our solution is going to help. And this is how we're going to roll out. So I think finding vendors and assessing vendors for how they are not only going to solve the problem, but how they're going to help the people on the team adopt that solution into their environment, I think is really important. Yeah, I, I agree. And as I look back over my notes from our conversation, Haley, we we did touch on so many key pieces. Uh, the things that jump out at me are, as you're beginning to roll this out, share the risks, communicate the risks of the different types of attacks that you may be under and help your firm, help your attorneys see those risks. Uh, the other one, and, and you touched on this several times, and, and I think it's very, very important, but categorize the data. Not all data needs the same level of protection. You know, an email between you and I about, hey, let's go to lunch next week requires very little protection. Mm -hmm. But passing uh, payroll information is the example that you used, that becomes critical. And so I think our audience out there really can get a good idea of how to categorize this information and how to roll it out within their companies. So Haley, I really appreciate your time today. I always enjoy our conversations. To our audience, if you want to learn more or ask a question, go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Haley Altman. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.